Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, September 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, um, wide, wide variety of topics. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a real probability that you're going to find more over there to listen to than you have time to listen to it in. So again, I would encourage you to go on over there. I want to continue to point you at the final link of our show notes, or no, next to final link in the show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay's provided a very thorough description in there and um, explanation of our goals. So take a read. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, with it being Wednesday, we hit the middle of the week. We're going to be doing our Bible reading as usual in our morning segment. And then we're going to be continuing on in our um, study of John chapter 12. We're actually moving into a new segment. We're moving into, um, I believe, if if I remember correctly, um, our next segment by, by John MacArthur is called The Day the Light Went Out. Um, which actually makes me think of the song, the day the lights went out in Georgia. Um, sorry, I, I, I'm sure that's not what he was referring to, but anyways, the day the light went out and he's speaking of the light being Christ. Um, and that's section, uh, John chapter 12 verses 35 through 40. I know 35 through 50. I think, um, we're going to be dealing with the small section at the beginning of it. So, um, Let's go ahead and let's get started with our Bible reading. So we're going to open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Our morning morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for September 13th. The text for it is from Psalm 84.6. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. This teaches us that the comfort obtained by by, by a one may often prove serviceable to another. Just as wells would be used by the company who came after, we read I'm sorry. Just as wells would be used by the company who came after. We read some book full of consolation, which is like Jonathan's rod, dropping with honey. Ah, we think our brother has been here before us, and digged this well for us, as well as for himself. Many a night of weeping, midnight harmonies, an eternal day, a crook in the lot, 
a comfort for mourners, has been a well digged by a pilgrim for himself, but has proved quite as useful to others, especially, especially we notice this in the Psalms, such as that beginning, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Travelers have been delighted to see the footprint of man on a barren shore, and we love to see the waymarks of pilgrims while passing through the Vale of Tears. The pilgrims dig the well, but strange enough, it fills from the top instead of the bottom. We use the means, but the blessing does not spring from the means. We dig a well, but heaven fills it with rain. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. The means are connected with the end, but they do not of themselves produce it. See here the rain fills the pool, so that the wells, wells become useful as reservoirs for the water. Labor is not lost, but yet it does not supersede divine help. Grace may well be compared to rain, for its purity, for its refreshing and vivifying influence, for its coming alone from above, and for the sovereignty with which it is given or withheld. May our readers have showers of blessings, blessing, and may the wells they have digged be filled with water. Oh, what are means and ordinances without the smile of heaven? They are as clouds without rain and pools without water. O God of love, open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. All right, well, our reading for the day, we're going to be reading um, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 13, and Isaiah 14, 2 Corinthians 13, Psalm 57, and then Proverbs 23, verses 9 through 11. So Isaiah 12, hear the word of the Lord. Then you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Yahweh, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not dread, for Yah, Yahweh himself, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation, and in that day you will say, Give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise Yahweh in song, for he has done majestic things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 13 The oracle concerning Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos beheld. Lift up a standard on the bare hill. Heighten your voice at them. Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my set-apart ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exulting ones, to execute my anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains, like that of many people. A sound of the rumbling of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. Yahweh of hosts is mustering the host for battle. They are coming from a far country, from the end of the sky. Yahweh and his instruments of indignation, to wreak destruction on the whole land. Wail, for the day of Yahweh is near. It will come as destruction from the mighty. I'm sorry, from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and labor pangs will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of Yahweh is coming cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the pride of the arrogant, and bring low the lofty pride of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than fine gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place, at the fury of Yahweh of hosts in the day of his burning anger. And it will be that like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them, they will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be pierced through, and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their infants also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished. Behold, I am going to awaken the Medes against them, who will not think about silver or take pleasure in gold, and their bows will dash the young men to pieces. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. 
and it will be that Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the honor of the Chaldean pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation. Nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches also will dwell there, and shaggy goats will leap there, and hyenas will howl in their fortified towers, and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will soon come, and her days will not be prolonged. Isaiah 14 When Yahweh will have compassion on Jacob, and again choose Israel, and put them in their own land, then sojourners will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob, and the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of Yahweh for their male and female slaves, and they will take their captors captive and will have dominion over their taskmasters. And it will be in the day when Yahweh gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh slavery in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the taskmaster has ceased, and how fury has ceased. Yahweh has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes, which had dominion over the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees are glad over you, and the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Sheol from beneath trembles excitedly over you to meet you when you come. It wakens for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all answer and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pride and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and the worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol, to the recess of, recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will carefully consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who caused kingdoms to quake, who made the world like a wilderness and pulled down its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own place. But you have been cast out of your, gra out of your grave like an abhorred branch, clothed with those clothed with those killed who are pierced with the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like a trampled corpse. You will not be united with them in burial, because you have ruined your country, you have killed your people. May the seed of evildoers not be called upon forever. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter, because the iniquity of them, their fathers, they must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the face of the world with cities." I will rise up against them, declares Yahweh of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, offspring and posterity, declares Yahweh. I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog and swamps of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely just as I have intended, so it has happened, and just as I have counseled, so it will stand, to break Assyria in my, in my land, and I will trot him down on my mountain. Mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the counsel that is counseled against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For Yahweh of hosts has counseled, and who can thwart it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died, this oracle came. Do not be glad, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. Far from the serpent's root, a viper will come out, and its fruit will be a flying fiery serpent. And the foremost of the poor will eat, and the needy will lie down in security. I will put to death your root with famine, and it will kill off your remnant. Wail, O gate, cry, O city, melt away, O Philistia, all of you. For smoke comes from the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. How then will one answer the messengers of the nation? That Yahweh has founded Zion and the afflicted of his people will take refuge in it. 
2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be confirmed. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking proof that Christ speaks in me, he is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God toward you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I hope that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that, our, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we, we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be restored. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity, in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice, be restored, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Psalm 57. For the choir director, Al-Tasheth of David, a miktam, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, until destruction passes by. I will call to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send his loving kindness, kindness, kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I am lying down among those who breathe forth fire, sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have set a net for your net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. My heart is set, O God, my heart is set. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens, and your truth to the skies. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. And finally, Proverbs 23, verses 9 through 11. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the insight of your speech. Insight of your speech. Do not move the ancient boundary, and do not come into the fields of the orphans. For their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I, I pray that this time together helps to keep you saturated in the scripture um, so that so that you and I could be more and more like like John Bunyan every day that that like I, I've said about him. They used to talk about him that if they cut him, he would bleed Bibline. He would bleed the Bible. And, and I would pray that that some of this time together reading and I, I hope this reading and generate study on your own um, that it will help you to get to that point um, again. Glad you were with us. I hope you have a great day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. And the prayer we're going to use today from Valley of Vision is called Worship. Worship. Let's pray. Glorious God, it is the flame of my life to worship Thee, the crowning glory of my soul to adore Thee, heavenly pleasure to approach Thee. Give me power by Thy Spirit to help me. Worship now. I'm sorry, to help me worship now, that I may forget the world, be brought into fullness of life, be refreshed, comforted, blessed. Give me knowledge of thy goodness, that I might not be overawed by thy greatness. Give me Jesus, Son of man, Son of God, that I might not be terrified, but be drawn near with filial love, with holy boldness. He is my mediator, brother, interpreter, branch, daysman, lamb. 
Him I glorify, in him I am set on high. Crowns to give I have none, but what thou hast given I return, content to feel that everything is mine when it is thine, and the more fully mine when I have yielded it to thee. Let me live wholly to my Savior, flee from distractions, from carking care, from hindrances to the pursuit of the narrow way. I am pardoned through the blood of Jesus. Give me a new sense of it. Continue to pardon me by it. May I come every day to the fountain, and every day be washed anew, that I may worship thee always in spirit and truth. Amen. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a great day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, September 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne, I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, I should say. All right, we're going to get into our study of John 12. We're going to continue on in it. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up again, of course, with um, another prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called A Present Salvation. So let's pray. Creator and Redeemer God author of all existence, source of all blessedness. I adore thee for making me capable of knowing thee, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire thee. I praise thee for the revelation of thyself in the gospel, for thy heart is a dwelling place of pity, for thy thoughts of peace towards me, for thy patience and thy graciousness, for the vastness of thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched, May I be always amongst those who not only hear, but know thee, who walk with and rejoice in thee, who take thee at thy word and find life there. Keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit, in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicings, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. May I cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before thee as in appearance I am before men to be religious before I profess religion, to leave the world before I enter the church, to, see my, to set my affections on things above, to shun forbidden follies and vanities, to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O God, make me worthy of this calling, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me and I in him. Amen. All right, the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for September 13th. The text is from Luke 15:2. This man receiveth sinners. Observe the condescension of this fact. This man who towers above all other men, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. This man receiveth sinners. This man who is no other than the eternal God, before whom angels veil their faces. This man receiveth sinners. It needs an angel's tongue to describe such a mighty stoop of love. That any of us should be willing to seek after the lost is nothing wonderful. They are of our own race, but that he, the offended God, against whom the transgression has been committed, should take upon himself the form of a servant and bear the sin of many, and should then be willing to receive the vilest of the vile. This is marvelous. This man receiveth sinner, sinners. Not, however, that they may remain sinners, but he receives them that he may pardon their sins, justify their persons, cleanse their hearts by his purifying word, preserve their souls by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, and enable them to serve him, to show forth his praise, and to have communion with him into his heart's love. He receives sinners, takes them from the dunghill, and wears them as jewels in his crown plucks them as brands from the burning, and preserves them as costly monuments of his mercy. None are so precious in Jesus' sight as the sinners for whom he died. When Jesus receives sinners, he has not, he has not some out-of-doors reception place, no casual, casual ward where he charitably entertains them as men do passing beggars, but he opens the golden gates of his royal heart and receives the sinners right into himself. Yea, he admits the humble penitent into personal union and makes him a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
there was never such a reception as this. This fact is still more sure this evening. He is still receiving sinners. Would to God sinners would receive him. Amen. And what an apropos evening um, devotion, considering what we're going to talk about with our Bible study, which we are now at. So, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, again, like I've told you before, I use John MacArthur's headers and subheaders out of his commentary because it just makes it easier for me um, to put this stuff together and be able to do it five days a week. So we've come through the section um, where we were talking about facing the cross and, and don't think that's gone away. I mean, we're continuing. Jesus is continuing towards the cross. He knows he's heading towards the cross. And we've watched that, you know, he's come from, you know, um, in John 11, he's uh, wow, went blank there for a minute. He's resurrected Lazarus. He's brought him back to life. Um, you know, one of the, one of the greatest miracles ever done. Um, of course, he's going to turn around and he's going to resurrect himself. I mean, he's going to be resurrected as well. So he's going to come back to life, which is going to, you know, blow that one out of the water. But he's done that. The superficial crowd's like, wow, look at this. Wow, this is really cool. Here's this Lazarus guy. That's really cool. But hey, here's the guy who did it. But they're superficial. We've talked about that. They're superficial. And um, the leadership is just blatantly hostile. They, they've made plans to kill Jesus. And they've even now expanded the plans to kill Lazarus as well. Because Lazarus is a witness. You know, his, his, his living is a witness to the fact that this Jesus guy did these miracles. So when all their stuff goes, goes, goes bad because they've contended with a holy God, because this is God's plan. They don't want there to be anything to testify that they, they did anything wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. So they don't want anything there to testify that they did anything wrong, that they made any bad decisions. Of course, they've been making bad decisions for long, long since before Jesus was born again as I've been very, very clear with it, the religious leadership in first century Palestine and for long before that, and until the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, they did not care about the people. They were meant to be the shepherds of Israel. They were meant to be the spiritual shepherds of Israel. They were no such thing. They were a bunch of self-serving, self-backslapping, um, aggrandizing, um, sour pusses. I mean, the, the, the fact is they, they cared more about themselves being honored in public themselves, having the best seats in the synagogue themselves being treated with the utmost respect than they were about guiding Israel in its worship and love of God. They didn't care about that. They really didn't. It didn't have anything to do with that. Now they might study and try to make themselves intellectual experts though you got to kind of wonder about that too, but intellectual experts on the scriptures, but they weren't circumcised in heart. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, they were, they were, they were like the, like the, um, like the circumcision party that was running around saying, okay, that's great that you've been saved, but now you got to go get circumcised, which meant nothing. I mean, these people in some cases, well, actually in all the cases you read there in the new Testament, they've been hit with the Holy spirit. And yet the circumcision party who, who, who are part of the, part of the, you know, the new, the new Christian religion are running around saying, well, now you need to get circumcised too, because that matters too. And of course, you know, that ended up falling apart and Peter, you know, there in Jerusalem said, no, I don't think so. And, you know, told his story about Cornelius, Cornelius, Cornelius in them. Well, I was having trouble saying that. And then James says, okay, here's the only things we're going to require of them, which were things they should have been doing anyways. Um, and had nothing to do with that, but they didn't, they still didn't get that it was circumcision of the heart that mattered, cutting away the worldly from the heart. They didn't get that, 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 that was it. And they, and they don't, and at this point they don't care. I mean, they really don't care. Um, so don't ever, don't ever think that, that they were just misguided. No, they don't care. They don't care if, if they are so intellectually elite and intellectually experts of the scriptures, there should have been no hesitation to understand the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of man, that he was the Messiah, but they just couldn't get it. 
So in the face of that, Jesus has been stepping towards the cross. And so we hit John, John chapter 12 and he's entered the city and he's entered on the cult of a donkey, making a very, very clear point that he is not there as this great messianic warrior that's going to throw off the Roman yoke, that he's there as a servant and he's there to die and he's forcing it because the religious elite had no intention of doing that during the Passover, which was exactly when it needed to happen. So Jesus forced the issue on purpose. I mean, that was planned from before the foundation of the earth that he was going to force this issue. This wasn't a new thing. This wasn't a plan B or C or D. So in that facing the cross section, we saw the anguish of Jesus. Please don't ever misunderstand. While Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And he knew exactly what he was going to face as far as all the human abuse he was going to face in, in his incarnate body. But then all the abuse he was going to face, and, and I call it abuse, but it's not. But the punishment he was going to take, the wrath of God that he was going to take for the sins of all we sinners who come to a saving faith in Christ. He was going to take that on himself. So there was anguish there. Don't ever think he just, you know, benignly without any any clue of what he was going to face just wandered along to the cross like, like like an animal going to slaughter that that was not jesus he knew but he did it anyways but there was anguish there and we saw the answer of the father we saw the father again speak from the heavens what what a great witness that is but we saw also the anticipation of victory we saw how clearly that even as heinous as this is and this the the crucifixion of jesus is the worst crime ever committed in the history of the world but even in that there was victory and then we see the abandonment by the people verse 34 the crowd then answered him we have heard from the law that the christ is to remain forever and how do you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And again, this is them, as I said last night, this is them realizing, you know, hey, you're claiming to be this Messiah, this son of man, but he's supposed to live forever, but you're saying he's going to be crucified and killed. So, so how, how does, how does that jibe? Well, the problem is they're making the wrong connections. Um, again, the, you know, they've looked at the prophecies and the prophecies do speak of the Messiah's eternal kingdom. But they're making so many misconnections. One, that's speaking more of in one in one one instance, it's speaking of Christ's second coming and the establishment of the millennial kingdom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's also speaking of the fact that upon his death and resurrection, the spiritual kingdom is already in place and will continue forever. And they're just not getting that. I mean, because they've been missing. They're spiritually blind. We've seen that both in, in this superficial crowd and, and in among the religious elites. They're, they're oblivious. They are so spiritually blind that they're not understanding the spiritual nature of this. They're so caught up with the temporal. They're so caught up with the world that they're looking for a worldly solution. And how, how much do we see that in our day to day? That folks are so caught up, uh, you know, that they want to turn around and please, I'm, I'm not bashing the guy, but they're looking for Trump as a savior. They're looking for DeSantis as a savior. They're looking for, for temporal things as a savior. The fact is we need Christ. Um, we, we got people, well, I'm not even going to go. I'm sorry. I was about to head down a place. I don't even want to go, but, but they're out there hunting for the temporal, the, 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 the physical in our world as a savior. And Christ is the Savior, and it's a spiritual salvation, and they're just not getting it. So at this case, when they say, who is this Son of Man, basically, basically that's them turning from him. Basically, they're, they're calling him out and saying, you can't be this Son of Man. You cannot be this Messiah if, if you think that, that you're going to die here. You can't be this Messiah because Messiah is not supposed to die. So they're abandoning him. But we see in our verses today... Jesus makes, we, again, this section, the day the light went out. And the reason MacArthur calls it that is because you're going to see in, in this first section, and you're going to see this about belief and unbelief. But in this first section, he calls it the final call to belief. Because we got to realize as we head into John 13, 14, 15, there's no more public speaking. 
There's no more public speaking. He then does his final sets of instructions for the 12. Okay. So he's making this final call to belief. And those are our verses for today. Verses 35 and 36. So John 12 verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Okay, so let's make a few general statements here real quick. Obviously, I mean, especially if you've been with me since the beginning of our study in the gospel of John, but all you got to do is pick up the gospel of John and read the first 10 verses or so. It's obvious Jesus here in verse 35 and 36, speaking about the light is speaking about himself. So what he's saying here is for a little while longer, I will be among you. Walk while you have me so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks without me in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have me, believe in me so that you may become sons of me, of God. You know, I mean, yeah, of the light of Jesus, but he's God incarnate, become sons of God. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. So that's what he's saying there. And what he's talking about is he's being really clear. Listen, a little while longer, I will be among you stating that, I mean, I mean, at his age, he's not, he's not stating, Hey, I'm going to have a sudden onset heart, heart attack and die. I'm going to have a widow maker and die. That's not what he's saying there. He's making very, very clear that for only a little while longer will I be among you, and then they're going to come take me and kill me. He's being very clear, and these people should get it. I mean, they, they, they were just talking about the verse before going, you know, and how do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? So they know, and he's stating, it's coming, and it's coming now. I mean, he's making clear, it's coming in the next 48 to 72 hours. It's coming in the next couple of days. This is going to happen. But he says, but I'm with you until then. And then he goes on, walk while you have the light, walk while you have me. Please understand what he's saying. He's not talking about walking down the road. When walk is used like this, and we see it explicitly, one of the best places to see this is um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and into 5. You see the worthy walk, and then you see it broken down into different walks, the 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 walk of wisdom, the walk of spirit, the you know, etc. And you and you if you've ever done, and I actually did a study, um, you can go back to some of my early podcasts and we walk through that. But the worthy walk, what that is, what that's meaning using that word walk is speaking of the worthy practice of life, the worthy um, actions of life is what he's talking about. When he's saying walk there, he's, he's, he's saying, do your life while you have me so that the darkness will not overtake you. What he's talking about is do your walk and doing your do your walk in the light of Christ. Do your walk in the light of the direction I've given you of the of the imperatives of the com, of the commands I've given you. Walk like me, you know, be imitators of me. Do these things so that the darkness won't won't overtake you. And and again, we'll see in the next verse, so that you will be my children, so that you will be my adopted brothers and sisters. And so he goes on in here, he who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Again, um, it, it makes me think back to when Jesus is talking about um, the Pharisees or well, the, well, the religious leadership and how blind they are and that they're the blind leading the blind because, because they're spiritually blind. Like we've talked about, and we actually talked about it here earlier. I mean, I, it was, I think it was a couple of weeks ago in the gospel of John, as we were working through it, that they are so spiritually blind. And so they're leading the spiritually blind because the, the, these crowds, the, these average people are not grasping what Jesus is saying. So they don't know where they're going. So they're walking in darkness. He, he who spends his life practicing the things of his life in the darkness, meaning not colored by the light, not, not driven, not shaped by the light, doesn't know where he's going. 
meaning it's fruitless. It's what, what is it? The preacher says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Um, and when he's talking about it, it's useless when he, when he uses that word, it's useless, useless of useless, all is useless. That's what that's doing here. They don't know where they are going. And then Jesus goes on in verse 36, while you have the light, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Again, while you have Jesus, he's saying, while you have Jesus, believe in me. And he said that more than a few times over the gospel, believe in me so that you may become sons of light. He is repeatedly, and I, I always go back, um, and I think it's uh, John 6, John 7, somewhere in there, maybe even John 5, um, that where um, I talked about um, it was almost like an impromptu trial that the religious leadership was grilling him and it was, and he started calling witnesses and you know, he, he calls John the Baptist as his witness. He, he calls um, God himself as his witness. He calls his works as his witness. And then he calls the scriptures themselves that, and he says it, the scriptures that you, that you yourselves lean on and are searching constantly in for eternal life. Those speak of me, those witness to me. So, and he's been clear that if you're seeing all this and you're seeing the fact that I'm doing the will of God, then why can't you believe in me? And then he's saying, and, and what he's saying here is while you have me here, believe in me so that you may become sons of me in the sense that he is God. Because he's been clear. I mean, how many I am statements has he said? And, and again, we've, we've, we've talked about it before. The Greek there is ego aimi. And it's basically, I am that I am. It, it's, he's making clear, I am God. I am God incarnate right here. So that's what you're seeing. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. Because he's being very clear here. There's no in-between, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, our world is so busy with the subjective, and you know, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and um, who, who is it, uh, Oprah, and there's, you know, there's thousands of ways to God. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's one. There's the narrow road, and it leads through Christ. Christ is clear. I am the way, the truth, and the light. Our only way to God, our only way to salvation is through him. And that's what he's saying here. He's making the, the, showing the dichotomy between light and darkness. And basically he's saying is while you have me believe in me, <clears throat> which is implying if you don't believe in me, therefore you don't become sons of the light. You are sons of the darkness. And I've said it before, and I know I, I've, I've come across folks that don't like this, but the fact is, and the scripture is clear about this that we are either slaves of Christ or we are slaves of Satan. There is no other way. And so it's being clear that either you believe in the light or you're a slave of Satan or you believe in Satan. You, you, you are either of the light or you're of this world. And that's what he's saying. And he's giving them that. He's being very clear with them. But this is this final call. This is this final call to salvation. And he says, these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. So again, he's done. He's done. His public proclamation is done. And woe be it to those that would not come to a saving faith in Christ. I, I like to believe, and I don't know this for a fact, the scriptures don't tell us, but when you see the centurion that is there at his crucifixion. And at the end of that, he says, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact verse and I didn't look it up, but something along the lines of this surely was the son of God. I would like to believe at that point that man was brought to a saving faith in Christ, that he was truly brought to a saving faith in Christ. And hopefully he brought his family to that point too. Because there was the realization there that we were idiots, we were fools, but this was the, this was the Christ, this was the son of God and how amazing that realization is. But here we've got this crowd that Jesus is trying to call, but notice he says, these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. There's no indication like we see in acts where thousands came to faith. There's none of that. 
he makes this final proclamation and he goes and hides himself. And that's it. And what a whimper that is. And I'm not saying that to disparage Jesus in any way, shape, or form. That doesn't speak of what Jesus has said. Jesus has been very clear. And he's been very clear in the Gospel of John here for, oh, many, many, many chapters. They've had more than a clear opportunity. They've had more than clear evidence to know that this is the Son of God. That if of anything they should believe in, they should believe in him. But they don't. And it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. Honestly, my wife and I were just talking about it today. Um, our own salvation. It was, it was like a thunder, it was like a, a thunderclap moment for both of us. And my wife started running around the house, and, and she was saved before I was, and God used her, the Holy Spirit used her to get me to stop and hear. And then I had my own thunderclap moment. But it, but in her case, all of a sudden she started going, We got it wrong. We got it wrong. It we just it she just start the proclamation of that. And then she wouldn't stop to, stop talking about Jesus. And I actually said ask her, Can we talk about anything else other than Jesus? And not two weeks later I was saved. And but it was that sudden a moment. Now I know there are people out there that that claim they don't have those moments. I think they probably do, but maybe they didn't they didn't quite stun them the way they do for some of us. Um <clears throat> but again, these people have been given the final call to belief. And from what we see in the scripture, and, and I, 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 I'm making an assumption here, but I would think that if a bunch of people came to a faith at that point, it would have been a big enough thing that John, the apostle would have written it down. I mean, maybe not, maybe it, maybe it wasn't the point of what he was writing for, but I would think it would be because the whole point of this gospel is to make clear to us apologetically that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the Messiah. So that in believing that, so that we would believe that. And so that in believing that we would have life in his name, we would have eternal life. So I would think that would be a, a huge witness for the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So I would think John the Apostle would record that, but he doesn't. So it, ha it, it, it says to me that Jesus made this one final call to belief. And there were crickets. There was nothing. And again, like I said, that doesn't speak to Jesus. That speaks to the hard-heartedness and the superficiality of the crowd and the out abject hostility of the religious leadership there and how sad that is. And so like, like MacArthur said, I, I think it fits the day the light went out because it did for them. It went out for them. I, we have to understand while I'm sure there were small groups, like I've said before, um, you know, we, we, we've got good indication that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea probably had a saving faith, but from everything else I read, the majority of the religious elite there, they had hardened their hearts so much. They had damned themselves to hell. They really had, and they were going to see it in 70 AD when Rome came and squashed them like a bug. In that case, God used Rome to chastise those who did not do what he commanded, those who did not follow him, the final fall of Israel. Um, you know, it, it, they had that call to belief and they turned away. And how often do we see that in our society today? I, I mean, yeah, there could be a lot more of us out there bringing the gospel, but there are an awful lot of us bringing the gospel. And the sad fact is, well, it's not sad, but, but it, it, it says something that, you know, where people are coming to Christ the most, at least last time I looked, it's in the Southern hemisphere, South America, Africa, Southern Asia. They're the ones coming to Christ. They're the ones responding to that effectual call. Not people in the Northern hemisphere. 
Oh, no, no, especially not in the United States. Oh, no, they got such a good life and they don't need any of that stuff. And they want to run off to Burning Man and they want to go do, you know, this other and they want to saturate themselves in repugnant, disgusting streaming services um, and, uh, and their own garbage. And they and they want to pile up the material. That they're this superficial crowd. This hard hearted, superficial crowd. I'm not saying God can't get through to them, but I can't help but look back and think of Pharaoh and as many times as he hardened his own heart. And finally at the end, God hardened his heart. So Jesus makes this final call. And like I said, crickets. So what we're going to end up talking about tomorrow night is the effects of unbelief. So Again, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I, th- I I hope this time, I pray that this time together helps to, uh, helps to, helps your um, understanding of the scriptures to grow um, and that it is edifying and equipping for you. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, we're going to close out with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, Every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior, Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions. Have mercy on us. We are weary. Give us rest. Ignorant. Make us wise unto salvation. Helpless. Let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy. Bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted. Let us travel on unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.